This is Smart Investing with Michael J. Red. The N stands for nerd. His favorite movie is books. Securities and advisory service offered through KMS Financial Services. Every day, millions of Americans suffer from extreme repulsiveness. Someone in our midst is bringing that problem to light. This is Smart Investing with, with Michael J. Red. I like him as a friend and everything, but I'd never go out with him. He's like a little sister to me. For I have the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure of introducing to you the one, the only. This is Smart Investing with Michael J. Red. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the second hour of Smart Investing here live at News Talk 590 AM. I'm Mike Wren, your host. This is the local investment show where we try to take the topic of investing. We try to make it easier to understand. We try to be entertaining, and we try to get you good, relevant information on each and every show in the hopes that you will make some more money as the years go by in your retirement portfolio. Those are our three goals. That's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. So I don't think we should try and do more. Let's just stay down low. (laughs) Trying to bring up the weather again. It's wonderful. It's glorious outside. I'm not sure that we're going to hit 60 degrees or not. We might get close. It's been the coldest spring on record, at least so far. And my gosh, I am ready for better weather. Here's what's going to happen. In terms of investing, right when everybody should be maybe taking advantage of the prices that are out there, the low prices, taking advantage of a little bit of more time that's created in summer, what are they going to do? People are going to have fun outside just like they should. Then when when school starts again, you've got Christmas coming up, they're going to look at their portfolios and maybe then start to look at things. Do I know if the stock market's going to go up this summertime? No, I don't. Nobody does. Does it have a good is there a good chance that it might? Mm, I maybe fifty fifty. My my thing is, is why put off a good deal when it's looking at, looking at you? Why put it off? Because it might be a trick. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, or... I mean, the, what's going to happen is that everybody's going to complain a year from now that they didn't quite make as much money as they wanted to on their portfolios for the last couple of years. But did they do anything really about it? No. This summer, people are going to go on vacations and goof with the family just like they should. That's why you should have somebody like me that might be giving you a call that's saying, hey, now is the time to put the pedal to the metal. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about taking extraordinary, extraordinary risk, but I am talking about seizing the opportunity that's in front of us and not being so darn chicken you know what scared about the future. I, I, it, things just aren't that bad. But let's talk about someplace that might be bad. Let's let's play into some of the people's. <laughs> yeah, here's another. Uh, I believe. Yeah, it's from the March 21st through the March 27th edition. So it's it's about a month old from Bloomberg Business Week. There was an article in there called "Bond Investors Brace for a Bust," and it starts out with it says William H. Gross has dumped all treasuries from the world's biggest mutual fund. Warren Buffett is shifting to short-term debt. Other bond market investors are moving money to non-U.S. bonds, real estate, commodities, and even a wind farm in Brazil as they prepare for an end to the three-decade rally in Treasury securities. 
why would Treasury securities go up for 30 years? Because interest rates went down for 30 years. Okay? I fall. When you look at the past record for U.S. Treasury bonds, it's going to look good. Does that mean it's going to look good going forward? I would tell you no. But don't listen to me. Listen to Bill Gross. He runs the most successful bond fund in the United States. It's also the biggest. He got rid of every single one of his U.S. Treasury bonds. Every single one. Every single one. That should stand for something. Warren Buffett, second, third, fourth richest guy in the world from investing and buying companies, he's shifted to short-term debt. He's worried about interest rates going up and worried about what I was telling the caller Kevin about. When interest rates are at zero, I don't know when they're going to go up. I can just tell you the chances for them going up are pretty darn good. I just can't tell you when or how much. But when you're at zero, it's hard to get negative interest, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Thanks for keeping my money. We're going to take a little bit, too, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now it says in here, U.S. government bonds are not a safe haven, says Jim Rogers, the global investor who correctly predicted the start of the commodity rally in 1999 says the worry is that unprecedented spending by the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve will inevitably cause interest rates to rise, reducing the value of existing treasuries. Why do they have to make it all negative and doom and gloom? The reason that rates are expected to rise is because they're at zero. It's not because the world is ending or the United States is doing anything inherently wrong, though we might be. It's because they're at zero, for for God's sakes. Come on, people. But they always have to add the element of they're going to go up, but here's why you shouldn't do anything yet. You should put jam in your pockets, stay in the same spot because you're toast. I mean, I just don't get why they just can't write the facts down while they have to put in the little bit of nuances just to try to scare you spitless. So, and by the way, they also put in here, bond prices fall when interest rates rise and increase when interest rates drop. Well, thank you for that. That was one little parentheses thing. They could have talked more about that, actually educated somebody, but no, not bus- not, not Bloomberg Business Week. Don't educate anybody. That would mark the end of a Treasury bull market that began in early 1980s after Fed, Fed Chairman Paul Volcker raised interest rates to as high as 20% to tame inflation. In the years that followed, inflation and interest rates declined, pushing up bond prices. The 10-year Treasury yield, which reached a high of 15.8% in September 1981, fell to as low as 2.05% on December 30, 2008. Now, that same Treasury bond is 3.36 for 10 years. And I talked about Treasury bonds last week. 3.36% each year for a decade, Mm, I'm not buying it. Why would I want just that much, that little interest each and every year for a decade? PIMCO said on March 9th that Gross, the head of the $237 billion PIMCO total return fund, eliminated government-related debt from his flagship fund in February as the U.S. projected record budget deficits. Gross who has overseen the expansion of PIMCO into a $1.2 trillion bond shop over four four decades, 
predicted a year ago that bonds have seen their best days. So in the first hour, I told people that, hey, they are, even though the market in stocks and equities has gone up for two years in a row, people are still pulling money from the stock market and putting it into bond funds. Now you have the manager of the biggest, the most successful bond fund in the world, Bill Gross, his quote exactly, word for word, bonds have seen their best days, end quote. Even the bond guy is telling you that the equities are where the deals are. He didn't so much as come out and say it. The reason he didn't say it is because he didn't want to be that self-serving. How do we know? Because PIMCO is coming out with stock funds now. And, the you know, the old Arsenio Hall show, things that make you go, hmm. There you go. You don't even have to listen to me, Mr. Nobody in Spokane, Washington. You can look at Bill Gross and say, oh, so he said that bonds have had their best day. Well, does he know anything? Oh, yeah, by the way, he runs the world's best bond fund, and he's been the most successful at it, and he's just got rid of every single U.S. Treasury bond in his portfolio. Then he has this quote that says, bonds have seen their best days. I'm an idiot, but I still know what that means. Now he's coming out with stock funds, funds that invest in stocks. That's what he hasn't done for four decades. Why would he do that now? I think it's time to go have that uh, bacon, maple syrup, yes. vanilla vanilla ice cream sundae over at Denny's. You've got Bill Gross telling you what to do. You don't even have to listen to me. I'm Mike Wren. This is the show Smart Investing. Telephone number here to the studio is 509-241-5900. You can find us on the web at smartinvestingshow.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Any opinions expressed here are given in good faith and are subject to change without notice and are correct only on the stated date of issue. Past performance is not always indicative of future results. This material is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Security financial instruments or strategies mentioned may not be suitable for all investors. Prices, values, or income from any investment mentioned in this report may fall against the interest of the investor and the investor may get back less than the amount invested. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs and is not intended as a recommendation of particular securities, financial instruments, or strategies to Before acting on any recommendation on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances, and if necessary, seek professional advice. This is Smart Investing with Michael J. Redd. I don't like the guy. Do I have reasons? Yeah. Good reasons? Yeah. How many reasons do I need? None. I don't like the guy. You're listening to Michael Red. You do. Maybe 
we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby Land, where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jack wagon. From Ren Investment Management. Okay, everybody, you're back with Smart Investing. I'm Mike Wren, your host. Been in the industry 21 years on the year for eight, a little bit more than eight, I guess now. Trying to basically get you a little bit better perspective, get you uh, ahead of the curve or either, or just, just in the curve, <laughs> just, just so you see some opportunity that the future actually is pretty bright. What I was talking about is basically to confirm that everybody, most people in the world that are investors in the United States are behind the curve. They're still pulling money out of stock funds, even though stock funds have gone up for two and two Two, more than two years, and they're putting money in the very asset class that Bill Gross says bonds have seen their best days. He didn't say government bonds, munis, or corporates. He just said bonds. That means all of them, okay? <laughs> let, let me translate. Then we when, then we have Daniel J. Fuss of Loomis Sales has expanded his investments in non-U.S. bonds and equity-linked securities. The $20 billion Loomis Sales Bond Fund has been reducing treasuries for more than a year in favor of high-yield bonds, says Kathleen C. Gaffney, co-manager with FUSS. Then you've got BlackRock. These are all names, Chris, you probably don't know because you're not an investment geek. Let me tell you, there's investment geeks that listen to this show. That's why I'm using these names. No, so, drop so, as many names as you so feel that, is the, important. That is my disclaimer for those of you who are saying, who's Loomis Sales, who's Bill's Grow, who is Bill Gross, who is BlackRock? There's some of you out there that know these names. BlackRock, the world's biggest money manager, has moved to shorter duration securities because of the potential for interest rate swings and is underweight treasuries relative to benchmark indexes. Okay? Insurance companies, their flexibility to invest in different assets is limited by regulators, are buying bonds with shorter maturities to protect their investments from rising interest rates. All state. The largest publicly traded U.S. home and auto insurer is sacrificing interest for flexibility on the $50 billion it has in fixed income holdings at its life insurance division by acquiring shorter duration bonds. Shorter duration, what does that mean? That means that you get your money back soon. Instead of giving your money to somebody for a decade and then you get your principal back, they're giving their money to somebody for six months, for a year, a year and a half. So when they get that money back, they're betting, thinking that interest rates will be higher when they get that money back. They'll be able to redeploy that money at higher rates. Okay? Kind of like waiting for the CD rates at the bank to increase. Exact same thing as that. Chief Executive Officer Thomas J. Wilson says, We are staying short in Allstate Financial, so when rates come up, we can reinvest at higher rates and lock in good long-term returns. Wilson, whose company is based in Northbrook, Illinois, said in a February 9th interview that that's costing us today in operating income. Warren Buffett brought the percentage of his securities in its portfolio maturing in a year or less to 23. So a quarter of Warren Buffett's money he's keeping short. It comes due in a year or less because he wants the money back. He wants it to buy something else other than that. Liberty Mutual doing the same thing. 
do you do you see how much data, how much, how many facts I have to show you that investors that do it professionally, Warren Buffett, one of them, Bill Gross, one of them, you can't get a, a larger difference between the king of bonds in the world and the king of stocks. They're the pe- doing the same the thing. The pendulum thing we were talking about. Yeah, but they're both doing the same thing, everybody. So if they're doing that, if they're telling you that they're taking money from bonds and making it go short, in other words, they want the money back soon because they think of interest rates going up, well, then it presents you, let's take bonds off the table, shall we, for investing purposes since Warren Buffett and Bill Gross and all these people are selling them and getting kind of out of them. Let's take that choice off the table. What other choices are there? Well, you can invest in a kettle corn operation, or you can invest in, you can put your money in the bank. You could put your money in gold. You can put your money in silver. You could put your money in copper. Of all those choices, except for the bank, they're all, they've all been going up pretty quickly. You could put your money in, 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 in emerging markets, which have been doing well as well recently. So there's, I would submit to you that the glaring buy, the glaring sale that's out there, the one place that stands out more than anything else as a place where you can get a good return on your money happens to be equities, stocks that are here in the United States. They've never, I'm not going to say that they've never been this cheap, but they've only been this inexpensive once before in my career. And it's a big deal to me because I have been doing this a long time. I realize that I'm 100% responsible for what happens to my client's money. I'm not the guy that says, gosh, golly, we're going to invest in this, and I hope like crazy it works out. That's not the way that I approach it. So that's why I am so bent on telling you that we're going through a sea change right now the individual investor is not doing what the big-time, well-regarded professional investors are doing right now. I'm not saying that the professional investors are geniuses, but they're, all they're doing is they're looking out the windshield instead of the rearview mirror. That's all they're doing. That's it. Yet you aren't even doing that, more than likely. So I'm just. that's why I said... I'd be happy if I could get you in the curve, not even ahead of the curve, just in the curve. <laughs> just somewhere. <laughs> yeah, just somewhere close there. So we're going to take a break here in like 30 seconds, a minute or so on. When we come back from that break, I'm going to see if this Internet site. But, yeah, it's still up. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a book. It's called The Big Secret for the Small Investor. It's written by a man by the name of where does this, oh Joel Greenblatt. And what's nice is this is one of those small books that you could probably read in two hours. And I think it says here on the Internet that it's for 10 bucks on Amazon. I'm going to tell you why you may want to pick that up if you want to learn a little bit more or a lot more about investing. I am Mike Wren, your host. This is the show Smart Investing. Go ahead and call us with a question or a comment. The telephone number is 509-241-5900. You can find us on the web at smartinvestingshow.com. We'll be right back. This is Smart Investing with Michael J. Red. This message is coming to you either from beyond the grave or because I'm in the grip of insanity. 
my computer can only do one thing at a time because its operator can only do one thing at a time. <laughs> so you're back with Smart Investing. I'm Mike Rin, your host. We've got a wonderful, wonderful Saturday out there. This The weather looks to be glorious. I cannot see a cloud in the sky at all. And it is it is just wonderful. And us skiers out there would like to call this, you know, a bluebird sky. Just something just something wonderful. What do you think, Chris? I was actually just checking on the, the weather to see what, what what were we supposed to get? Sixty something? Well, I don't know if it, it was like forty five now. Yeah. So it was like sixty and we made a record or below sixty and it would be the officially the coldest spring. Yeah. Ever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ever. Well it looks like we're headed towards there. <laughs> So when I left the break, I was going to tell you that we were going to talk about a book by the name of, what is it? The Big Secret for the Small Investor. And the author's name is Joel Greenblatt. And I, what was taking us so much time that Chris didn't have the intro music, because I said, Chris, my computer's doing this. Why don't you bring up Joel Greenblatt? Why don't you say a few things that are just on, what'd you do, just Google him? Uh, yeah, Wikipedia. Okay. Yeah, Wikipedia has everything. Uh, the, one of the things that stuck out to me was the, the school thing. Yeah. Uh, Greenblatt is famous for his contributions to education in New York city, donated $2.5 million to PS 65 Q a public elementary school in Queens. But that comes out to a thousand dollars per student for five years. That's good. I mean, that's a lot of money and a lot of little charity thing that just made Wikipedia. I mean, I didn't hear about it on the news. You always hear Bono donated $5 million, but you know, you never hear about these little guys who just kind of silently donate all this money. Well, he's founder and managing partner of Gotham Capital. He's the author of three investment books. One of them is this one that I'm titled The Big, The Big Street Carrot for the Small Investor. Another one is The Little Book That Beats the Market. He's an adjunct professor, like I said, with Columbia Business School. And this book that he's just come out with, like I said, it's it's small. You could probably read it in a couple hours. And if you're into investing, if you want to know more, you probably should. That because it's because these book now is the time when you're not as attracted to the media, more than likely, even not as attracted to this show. <laughs> That was less attractive. We were on television. But. Yeah, you should probably pick up a book. <laughs> and if you were going to pick up a book, this would be one of the books that I'd have you pick up because it's not daunting. It's like if I was helping you train for a marathon. I'm not going to go out and say, "Well, first day, run ten miles." That's not be the first day, run ten feet. That'd be more like it. This is a good first day or a good first book. Okay. And you said it was pretty small. Read it in like two hours. Yeah, hours. Okay. What he tries to say, you know, let me try to break up this book a little bit. Is that first of all, he tries to tell you that if you're really going to invest in individual stocks, that you should know how to value a company. And he says that most individual investors they don't have the knowledge, the time, or they don't want to work that out. So he makes that point, which is very, very correct. He actually is known for uh, something called the magic formula, where he looks at a company in a pretty in a pretty simplistic way, in in as much as how much cash that the company brings in. Mm-hmm. Free cash flow is what it's called. Then 
so he talks about that in this book, and then he makes the argument that a lot of individual investors won't take the time to do that. Okay, then he 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 tries to give you he tries to give you the individual investor solutions to overcome these these negativities that you're going to have. He's got some guidelines that he establishes, and he will then tell you that if you're not going to take the time to value a company in its in its entirety, then you should only stick to companies that have stable cash flows and somewhat predictable growth, thus making it easier to properly guess the guidelines for the different valuation techniques. Okay, So he's telling you right off the bat that if you're going to own individual stocks, own something that you even have the slightest chance of understanding. Let's, for example purposes, look at Coca-Cola. Okay, it's not a solicitation to buy or sell. Stop it. Yeah, it's a it's a simple company. They take water, sugar, some food coloring, some CO two, and if it's an aluminum can, they take the aluminum can and they make money with those things. A lot of money. Don't they? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you go anywhere in the world, hold up that sign, they know. Right. And sometimes it's plastic if it's a plastic bottle. But you get what I mean. Sugar, water, carbonation, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's Coca-Cola. So you can understand that company. Lots of people drink lots of Coke, and they really don't change their habits all that much as the months and years go by. So that's a predictable earning stream. It would be a somewhat of an easier company to look at than a few others. So that's the type of company that I'm I'm trying to steal you toward steer you towards. And but then he goes into the book and he says, even saying that in trying to steer you towards individual companies, he starts to bring in the mutual fund realm in this book and says, Well, after all, most people just want their money managed for them. They'd like to think that they'd like to manage it for themselves, but they don't really. Okay. They would really just rather have somebody do it for them. And then he focuses on index funds that you, the capital weighted index funds like the S&P 500 or the Russell 1000 and 70% of actively managed mutual funds that are run by a human don't beat these computer ones don't beat the indexes. He says so can you even invest better than an index fund? And there's where the key the key point of the book is is he says that if you're an individual investor and you want to keep things simple, take a look at maybe like the largest thousand, largest 1,400 companies in the United States. I know that's a lot, but you take them. And then you figure out some way to value these thousand largest companies, or 1,400 I think is actually what the book said, but I'm just trying to make it simple for radio purposes. So you've got a thousand, a list of a thousand names of companies. You've got to find a way to figure out which ones are hot and which ones are cold. And But what I mean by hot and cold is which ones are cheap, which ones aren't. That's what we want to find out, just like you're shopping for clothes or a car. You're trying to figure out what you want. Well, you know what you want in a car. What do you want in a company? Let, let's keep it simple, stupid. Let's keep it something that you understand, and it's a good company that's got real good predictable earnings. So you as an individual investor could go through that list of a 1,000 names, and if you don't know the company, maybe disregard it. Maybe, maybe just draw lines through these 1,000 names. 
See what I mean? Okay. That's the first. Just whittling it down. Yeah, you're whittling it down. You're sifting it. So now you got a list of I don't know how many names that you actually know and understand. Then you've got to figure out how to value those companies and take a look at which ones are going to be cheap relative to the other ones. And I'm going to tell you, you can't really compare a bank to, say, Apple Corporation. They do two different things. Apple is going to have crazy metrics evaluation compared to a bank or an insurance company. So sometimes a bank can be so cheap that you're thinking, wow, I'd rather own that than this other high growth company because the price is so cheap. But what I'm trying to do is keep it apples to apples. When you've got this list of thousand names that you've whittled it down, then you kind of move them around to where they're somewhat in the same industries. Then you start working on their valuations. That way you know which companies compared in which industries are cheapest, say, cheapest to most expensive. Then once you know the relative expensiveness for these companies based on their industries, then you can kind of compare industry to industry. And you're saying, well, how would I compare industry to industry? Well, one of the ways would be just to take a commonsensical look and say, which one of these industries has done exceedingly well over time, over like, say, the last five years, and which one hasn't done well at all? Well, I can tell you, what would be an industry that really sucks for the last two years? Well, home building would be one. So you've got to be careful if it's a big home builder. Are they even going to recover? More than likely, yeah, but you've got to know that. You've got to know that the drug industry has pretty much been under pressure for a decade. So as you look at all the industries that you can invest in out there, that's why I've said on the radio, why go out and buy a bank that has a heck of a time earning a lot of money when you can go find a company that's a little bit more dynamic that actually can make money even more quickly than a bank and maybe sells for the same valuation. In other words, I myself would rather own a drug company than a bank. I'd rather own some sort of a technology company than a bank, a telecommunications company. There's a lot of things in life I'd rather own more than a than a boring bank. Now the deals are so prevalent, I don't see the reason to go slumming and go look at banks when you've got other really dynamic companies that you don't have a lot of the worries. So when you've got this list, you just you try to whittle it down to the smallest number of companies that you can that you can deal with or you find somebody like me to do that sort of investing for you, which is the, it is the type of investing I do. Or I try to find a mutual fund manager that I can trust and have been able to trust for maybe a decade or more. So that's a little bit of an insight to this book, The Big Secret for the Small Investor. The author's name is Joel Greenblatt. And I think that if you're into investing, you should pick it up, go out, buy it, read it, and keep it. Don't turn the thing back in. Keep the book and refer to it again in a year or two. All the books that are on the website that I that I have is kind of a reading list. I think that you should read them once every couple of years because it, it, investing is not something, especially proper investing, proper investing technique, is not something that you're ever going to see on TV. You're not going to, except for the show, you're not going to hear about it on the radio. And so, well, unless it's on like 
Channel 7 where there's no real agenda. They're just yeah. trying to fill some time. Exactly. So what I'm telling you is, is you're not going to – those types of skills – you're not going to be using all the time like somebody like me is, and even me, where I'm immersed in this industry. I even reread my books every couple of years, and I always pick up something that I've typically forgotten, and it and it helps. So I'm Mike Wren. This is the show Smart Investing. Phones have been quiet, so why don't you give us a question or a call if you've got a topic that's concerning you. Telephone number here to the studio is 509-241-5900. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Smart Investing with Michael J. Red. How about your welcome? How about I'm, I'm so happy to be here for you all so I can take the blame? This is Smart Investing with Michael J. Wren. Isn't this great? Doesn't get better than this, does it? <laughs> you tell me that's not true. Okay, we're back with Smart Investing. I'm Mike Wren, your host. Telephone number here to the studio is 509-241-5900. Here's a news flash. If you're a client that, of mine that has been listening to the show, next Wednesday I'll be leaving for some vacation time. Next week's show will be a best of. I won't be in the office from Wednesday until uh, Wednesday, and then I'll be gone the entire following week. So that's uh, we've got a caller coming in. Wow. So uh, that's what's going on. So you're hearing this last. And let me tell you, it's hard for me to. I'm worried incessantly on this show about repeating myself too often and making this show boring. But I, I have to tell you right now that we are definitely at an inflection point. It should be, if you're serious about your financial future, it should be a working summer for you. There's some good deals out there. So caller on the line is? Yes. Ed would like to talk to you about some oil companies. Okay, Ed. Thanks for calling. Uh, I was just going to ask about oil companies uh, in general because the price of oil seems to be up so much. Yep. Uh, what do you think of oil stocks? I Maybe in particularly BP. Okay. Oil stocks, let me try to do something here at the same time that I'm talking to you. My general feeling on oil stocks over the last 20 years it's only been recently that they've really made my clients any money, okay? Mm-hmm. So so that's the first comment. But during that whole period of time that I was running clients' portfolios, even though, let's say, ExxonMobil might have been the slowest performing stock in, let's say, a portfolio of 20 companies, 
My clients were never really in a hurry to sell it. They never wanted to just get rid of it, just out of frustration. And that tells me that a person is pretty darn comfortable with owning an oil company, usually because they are putting gas in their car every day. Okay? Okay. So the so the level of comfort for the individual investor for an oil company, I'd say is much higher than average, that they're willing to hold that company more through thick and thin than even even if BP catches the Gulf on fire. People will stay, well, yeah, they really did stub their toe, but look, everybody's going to be buying gas. Nobody's going to quit driving because of that. So they, an individual investor figures out ways to justify holding on to that company. And that in, in and of itself is a good thing because time in the market, time in a decent investment is a good thing. The longer that you're willing to hold a decent company, the more, the higher the odds are that you're going to make money, either through dividends, the price going up, maybe both. That being said, I'm not. I usually look to oil companies when I need a higher level of safety for my client or for myself. And the deals out there are so prevalent that I'm not feeling the need to go look at an oil company with all that it entails because. There are so many other good deals out there of other of other companies that will either pay a higher dividend. BP's dividend is three point seven percent, which is really darn good. But I can get that same dividend off of the drug stock, and I'm thinking, wow, I wonder which has the opportunity to increase more money, di- increase earnings dynamically over the next decade, selling oil or the possibility of a new drug with. Other drugs being there, and you've got the aging population. So just, just, just me being the devil's advocate, and the and oil is not all that scarce. So when you have the price of oil being this high as it is right now, uh, people will quit driving as much. They will change their behavior. So that's another negative mark for oil stocks. The, it's odd that you bring up BP when oil really, really had its bull market over about the past five, six, seven years. BP is one of the few companies that actually invested in new reserves. In other words, (coughs) excuse me, a typical oil cycle is you've got a boom going on. Oil companies are making gobs of money, so they take that money and go search the world to find some more of it. And usually, by the time they find more of it and they, they figure out how to get it out of the ground... It's such a long lead time that by the time that they're pumping it out of the ground, they're making less money than they were when they were looking for it. So Exxon, ConocoPhillips, all the biggies said, listen, this this is going to be different this time. When we make all of these excessive profits this time, we're just going to buy back stock and pay it back to our shareholders. We're going to increase our dividend. In other words, we're not going to be in such a darn hurry to go look for new oil. BP was one of the ones that did go look for new oil. So when you go out a decade, I would think that, in my opinion, BP is better positioned than a few of the other biggies because they still went out and looked for more oil, where the other ones didn't do that. So, but that is an awfully long answer. There's a lot of companies I like out there better than oil stocks, but 
if you hold, what's wrong with the three percent dividend? Nothing. What's wrong with them having the ability to increase the dividend over time? Nothing at all. So when you look in terms of it's either oil stock or putting money in the bank, I'd love an oil stock, obviously, or better than a bond, because the fact remains still is that you've got the emerging markets that will slowly start to use more oil. The By the way, the, the modern economies like the U.K. and the United States – Oil demand is actually tailing off and going down. Most people don't realize that. Well, thank you very much for that answer. I, when uh, they had the oil spill in the Gulf, uh, BT, BP stock went down to about $26 a share. Twenty six seventy five. you're right. And it went up. Now it's uh, above forty, I believe. Yeah, it's forty six oh three. And over the past year, it's been almost as high as sixty. And if you tailor it back all the way to '06, it was getting close to the $75 range. So, and that's in the peak of their earnings years. So, I because you asked the question because we talked about it. I have to say this that it's not a solicitation to buy or sell to anybody out there listening to us. We're just discussing oil stocks and BP. Uh, specifically. But does my answer help you at all? At least give you, I don't know you enough to tell you, yes, you should do it or no, you shouldn't. But I hope my answer might give you a little bit of perspective on what's going on. Well, I thank you very much for your answer. And uh, I guess I'm the type of person that looks for a winner that I can get on and ride for a while to make some money. That's me too. And there are, I think there are other winners out there that I would rather own than BP, but I got to say, it's hard to argue with a 3.7% dividend and massive amounts of oil reserves. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you very much for your answer, and I appreciate you spending so much time with me today. Oh, yeah. I don't think I spent hardly any time at all. It flew by. Thanks for calling the show. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Uh Bye-bye. So that was a good caller. Really, really nice fellow. And I guess the show's at an end, huh? How many minutes do we have? One? Yes. One minute. So I'm Mike Wren. It's the show Smart Investing. I'll be gone on vacation next week, so if we've got good weather next week, no need to turn on the radio. Well, You can listen to a best of, and maybe Chris has put something together that's pretty amazing. That's usually the case. Uh, usually they have a lot of callers because no one wants to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. That's smart. So I'm Mike Wren. Telephone number to my office of Wren Investment Management, spelled W-R-E-N, is 509-747-5181. If you have a question, go ahead and give me a call there. Have a good rest of your weekend. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it.
Any opinions expressed herein are given in good faith and are subject to change without notice and are correct only on the stated date of issue. Past performance is not always indicative of future results. This material is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Security financial instruments or strategies mentioned may not be suitable for all investors. Prices, values, or income from any investment mentioned in this report may fall against the interest of the investor and the investor may get back less than the amount invested. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs and is not intended as a recommendation of particular securities, financial instruments, or strategies to you. Before acting on any recommendation on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice.